I believe in the United States of America. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And to the Republic. In one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. One nation. One God. I therefore believe it is my duty to my country to love it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. To support its constitution. Stand for the word of God. To obey its laws. It is essential that we obey God's law. A good government protects and provides for the people. As meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. My God shall supply all your needs. Welcome to the show. Would you like to hear a podcast? Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations Podcast. My name is Joshua and I am your host and I will be bringing you a slightly different episode today. This is, I believe, the culmination of season two and this whole theme of comparing the time period of the Reformation to today's time period and all the shifts and all the things happening I think and I hope and I'm pretty sure I have conveyed this parallel very strongly and very thoroughly. I may not do two-hour-long episodes on each individual thing, but I think I've done plenty of detail, plenty of parallels, plenty of information to back up that this is a pretty strong parallel and comparison, a lot of stuff we can learn from it, a lot of stuff that's playing out in very similar ways if you look at it from a certain perspective. And that perspective is the one that I've been trying to communicate clearly, hopefully. And so the final section that I was going to do was one on a religious and theological side where I was going to look at some of the views of the church, some of the aspects of theology and Bible interpretations, and some of those issues that people wrestled with, with morality and things like this, and basically continue like I have been doing. And that was the final topic that I was going to cover, as well as I was possibly going to do a special Medici episode. I think I'm canceling the Medici episode. If you really want it, let me know. Otherwise, I'll just keep that as a special one I'll do for the patrons, and I can add that to the Rothschild episode I did for patrons as well. And while I'm not canceling the idea of doing episodes on the religious and theological aspects and parallels, I'm just changing gears a little bit, and instead of doing that the way I've been doing these many episodes prior to this... I'm going to talk about just more the concept of how statism is a religion, because that's the parallel, is that the church of historic time periods, at least of that time period of the Middle Ages through the Reformation, that that is the parallel to the modern state today. And there are so many parallels with what it was and what it was doing and the shifts that were occurring and the roles in society, all these different things. But instead of kind of rehashing out and summarizing all these things that I believe I have made most of these points in other sections and other episodes as I've been digging through all these other related aspects of these parallels and the interviews that I did at the beginning of the season, a lot of this stuff came up there. So that's why instead of doing that again, I feel like I'd just be bringing together all these pieces that I have already stated and just putting them all together in one, which I guess could be helpful, but I just don't want to waste your time in any way. And so instead, I'm just going to be focusing on this aspect of statism as religion and how it's not just that the institutional church is so similar to the institutional state today, 
It's that the religion of Christianity that the church was over is the same as the religion of statism that the state is over in modern times. There's the parallel that I've been making between theology and politics, the theology historically and the role that played in society and the politics of today and the role that's playing. And I've made the clear parallel, like I just mentioned, between the institutional church and the institutional state. But I just want to focus on this aspect of religion and what that is and how that applies to both of these different time periods. And you should be able to see very clearly how this exists in today's world. So let's just compare these two things. We've got, number one, the religion of Christianity, as has been practiced, let's say, from the Middle Ages through the Reformation, that whole time period and what they believed, how they carried that out, where they got their beliefs from, these types of things. That is one religion on one side, and I'm just going to classify that broadly as religion, so to say, and that's the specific religion and time periods of that religion that I am looking at when I make that reference. And then for state what I'm talking about is the idea that the state should be and is in charge of a given region, a territory of society, that they are doing what's best for that society, that there are different ways of setting up the state, different ways of treating the state, but just overall that there should be a state, there should be a government, and that that rules over the people that live within the territory of that government. That would be roughly how I would describe statism. It's that belief in government, in the state, in this institution that should be and is over society. Similarly to how people viewed the church, when we look at that institution, we're looking at the state as a modern institution, and it's what people believed from the church and how they viewed the church for religion, and what people believe about the state and how they view the state and act in response to the state in modern times. So those are the two things. That's the state, statism, and the church and religion. I think the first thing to address is where do these religions come from? Well, the religion of Christianity comes from the Bible. There is a document, a text with words that are written down, but it's not just words, it's ideas, it's concepts, it's a whole set of doctrines, a whole set of stories and mythologies. All of this stuff has been compiled together into a book or sets of books known as the Bible, and that is where Christianity comes from. Well, where does statism come from? Well, it comes, uh, modern statism at least, it comes from texts and documents that are full of not only words, but ideas and concepts and aspects of morality and rights and things like this. Now, you could look at this two ways. We could either look at statism as a whole or pick a specific example. The specific example is what I'm going to do because, uh, number one, it's easiest for me because I'm more familiar with it. And number two, I feel like it's a more fair comparison if we have one religion and one state. So from a broad perspective, you could say modern statism came out of the Enlightenment and the writings that came out of the Enlightenment, think something like John Locke 
or thinkers of that nature, even Thomas Jefferson, people like that. And so that would be one perspective, but not the one that we are going to chase down today. The way I am going to approach it is by looking at the United States of America, of course. That is where I draw most of my examples because that's what I'm most familiar with. But I am sure that you can apply this to your own nation state or others in the world or others in the future. So that's what I'm going to focus on. So if we look at the beginning of U.S. statism, that would again be a document. It would be writings that were written down, collections of writings even. If you look at something like the Declaration of Independence, probably pair that with the Constitution. And they both fit this idea of having words and ideas and concepts written down, spelling out morality, spelling out rights, spelling out different things. They have a specific historical context, and they are completely surrounded by stories and mythologies of people, of heroes, of legends and battles and wars and evil competitors and all of these things, just like the Bible is full of all of these things, stories and examples of people of old and heroes heroes and people groups and wars and battles against evil. All of these things are very comparable. And when we look at the United States, when we look at America, that is what most people fall back on as the foundation for this religion of statism in America. It is the Constitution mainly. And some will also include the Declaration of Independence in with that. And usually those get lumped together for our founding documents, for our religious text, so to say, just like the Bible is for Christianity. Now, you have to have a group of people that then interpret these texts, that then carry out what they say and apply that to the common people and to the society. You have to have a priestly class. These are people that are dedicated to what these writings talk about. Specifically, they study these, they are engrossed in them, their job is involved in doing these texts and the things that are said there. And that would be the priests, and that would be the various religious leaders when you look at something like Christianity. You could even say that there are different ranks of these where you have priests and you have bishops and you might have archbishops, maybe a pope, depending on which time period we're looking about. Post-Reformation, that might look a little different, but still... Roughly, you have this priestly class, and it is ranked, and they have their different duties, all involving the Bible and interpreting that and teaching that and carrying out what the Bible talks about. Well, of course, when you look at the religious text of American statism, you have the Constitution, and that is the main text. And so you have this priestly class of politicians. You have different ranks. You have some that are senators, some are congressmen, some are lowlier, and some are greater. You have heads of whole departments, and you have at the top, not the pope, but the president. And they are the ones that fully carry out and are the final say-so. But all of these people, say the Supreme Court justices, they're the ones that determine what the text of the Constitution means and how that applies, just like the priestly class does with Christianity. They look at the Bible and say, well, this means this. It doesn't mean what you are trying to make it mean, this over here. No, it means only this. And we can verify that. We will debate that. We have all agreed, us priests and you commoners, we will explain it to you and teach it to you. And we will rule the society and govern these things and aspects according to 
what this text really means. And the same is done with the Supreme Court, for example, with the Constitution, where society is governed, is kept in check, is guaranteed their rights and freedoms even by going back to this original text, the founding religious document of the Constitution, and saying, well, this means X, and because X is the meaning, it applies in this way in this case. And that is all determined by this priestly class. Now, who can further elaborate on these things? Who can create more laws and more regulations and help to narrow down things, get more specific, get more elaborate? Who has control over this aspect of the Constitution? Well, again, it's the priestly class. It's the politicians. There are other politicians that put forth regulations and bills and laws, and they go through the bureaucracy of the state to then get carried out or get denied, and it'll always get compared to the Constitution, of course. The same thing happens with the church and Christianity. You can have different people in the priestly class, whatever segment of that they are in, and they can talk about different aspects of theology or eschatology, talking about like end times and what that means, uh, different aspects of these things. What does it mean to carry out priestly duties? What relationship does the Christian have with the law, with Mosaic law? When we're looking at a post-Jesus Christ world, they believe that Jesus Christ came and his sacrifice was the payment for the sins of the world and of humanity. And because of that, we then have to rely on that sacrifice, on Jesus's righteousness and his obeying of the law in order to be put in right standing with God. And so it's no longer that we have to obey the law 100% and we are trying to count on that for our own righteousness. No, it is Jesus's righteousness. But then Jesus says, oh, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. And you can go into detail on what fulfill means and uh, so much more. And that is a whole series, a whole season worth of podcast episodes, but we're not doing that today. Just the point is that if a priest has an idea of what that means and what the lay Christian's relationship to the law is, you should follow this aspect or not that aspect or this aspect of what if your oxen falls in a hole, um, but it's the Sabbath. Are you allowed to take it out? Or what if your neighbor's oxen falls in your hole? Are you responsible or are they responsible? Or what if you didn't put a fence around your roof and you have people over and they fall off and get hurt? Who's responsible for that? Like all of these different aspects of it can even get into governance when you're looking at Mosaic Law. Who determines what all this stuff means in modern times and how that applies and all this stuff? Well, it's the priestly class. And they can then make further judgments on how a Christian should live and how they should apply the Bible to their lives that are extra biblical. They are outside of what the Bible says because modern times are different than those times and we have to somehow apply those ideas and concepts and moralities to modern life. Well, the same is true with the Constitution. The Constitution was written in a time where society was very different than it is today. But those same concepts and ideas and those rights that were given and freedoms and restrictions of the state, all of those do still have to apply in some way. This is our religious text. We're not just going to change it. We're not going to scrap it. We need to learn how to interpret that. And any changes will then be said to be in the spirit of the Constitution and the spirit of freedom and liberty, just like any changes, so to say, with the Bible. If you say, oh, well, Mosaic Law doesn't apply anymore, 
you're not saying that the Bible gets scrapped. You have some religious reason that you can back, back up biblically as to why our relationship to the law is different than it used to be. Just like with the Constitution, the Supreme Court can say the same thing. They can say, well, the Constitution does say that the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. Well, that really should be interpreted in modern times as being the citizens have a right to carry some sort of defense. And so we're going to let them have shotguns and pistols, but there is going to be a limit on that. And that's all within the spirit of the Constitution for XYZ reason. Again, it all goes back to the Constitution to justify this, even when you're going against what the Constitution says. And it's the same thing with the Bible. That's how it all plays out. But it's the bureaucracy of the institution, whether it be the state or the church that makes these decisions and they debate amongst each other and decide these things. And sometimes there are disagreements that are so big that there has to be a split. Hence, something like the Reformation, or there was an earlier split with the Catholic Church before that, or you could look at the Civil War when you look at the United States of America. Now, breaking apart from the more foundational aspect of this religious text that statism and Christianity are based off of, we get into kind of how it is practiced by people. Well, how do people worship God, for example, when you look at a Christian perspective? Well, a lot of that is that these people have dedicated their lives to God. A common phrase is that you've given your life to God, that God is the Lord of your life. You have given your heart to Jesus. There are a lot of phrases like this that are basically saying the same thing, that your allegiance is 100% to God and to God alone, to no other gods. That's actually in the Mosaic Law. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's part of the Ten Commandments. And so that is the view of the Christian to the institution of the church, you could roughly say, to the religion, but mainly to God. And God is the ultimate representation. That's where the religion comes from. Well, what is the citizen's relationship to the state if you're looking at the religion of statism? Well, we have it in our common thing that is said every morning in every school around the country, I pledge allegiance to the flag. So what, you're pledging allegiance to a piece of cloth? Well, no, it's to the republic for which it stands. So it's not the flag itself. It's the idea of the republic. What is that republic? That is the nation state that was created through the Constitution, the founding document. It's this idea. It's the overarching ultimate reality of statism, just like God is the ultimate reality of religion of Christianity. And so with this, we pledge our allegiance to one thing. And that one thing, that ultimate reality of the religion or the state, that is the thing that we dedicate ourselves to completely. But we don't only dedicate ourselves to it, we also become reliant on it. That's what we look to to satisfy all the needs that we have. The Bible has many verses that talk about how God will supply all of our needs. And this may not look like what you would come up with if you had your way to create your perfect life, but that God will always supply what you need. He will never give you more than you can handle. And even when times are tough, even when you're going through horrible things in life, that there is an overall plan. It is for the greater good. You are going to learn. If you look at the writings of Paul, he was 
goes in and out of jail. He got stoned more times than he could count. These are what we would think of as very horrible things. But he says that he has joy when he's in these positions. And he is very happy. He's benefiting from this. He is able to sing worship songs to God while he's in a jail cell. And so it goes beyond our understanding, so to say. Well, what is the state if not something to provide for the needs of the people governed by the state. That's what it does. We count on the state for all the things we need, for our safety, for our food, for our health, all of these things, whether it be through regulation or through direct distribution, we do count on the state and rely on the state to give us the things we need as individuals and as a society. We are reliant on the state for these things. That's who we count on to provide for our needs. It is the state. Even when we're not focused on ourselves and we focus on others, so things like giving and charity, if you look from a Christian perspective, that is done through the church. You give your tithes and offerings to the church, and that is a not a restrictive thing. It's not that you can only give to the church, but that is the main place and the priority place that you do give is to your church, and the church, its role is to dole out these funds, this wealth, these skills, all of these things that it has at its disposal to help those who are in need. That is what the church does. It takes care of the poor. It takes care of the hungry. It helps to educate people that aren't able to get educated, give jobs to people that can't find jobs, all kinds of roles in society. That's what the church was responsible for. Now, I'm not saying that that's what the church always did or always does, but I am saying that biblically, that is what the church is responsible for. And this giving and this charity is done largely through the church. And if you look at the church as what the Bible describes more as the body of believers, the people who are Christians. Everyone that is a Christian makes up the church. It's not a physical place. It's not one institution. It's all of the people who are Christians together are considered the church. And so if Christians are doing good in some way, that would be the church performing these good deeds. And so that is how giving and taking care of people is administered. It's through the church, whether you look at it as the actual church, maybe the Catholic church, or maybe your local church building that houses your church, so to say, your local congregation, or whether you talk about just the whole body of believers. And the same is true with the state. The state could be thought of as the government as a whole. It could be thought of as the various departments that make up the government or as government officials or government programs, or it could just be this general thought of all of the different government employees and bureaucrats and politicians, everyone that makes up anything associated with the state, with the government as a whole, that is the state. And so you could look at it from all these different angles and these different groupings, but the idea is the same as it applies to how we help and provide for other people. It is through the state, and that is done not by tithes and offerings, but the equivalent of it is through taxation. Just like in religion and Christianity, you do have to give tithes to the church. That is something that the religious text says that you need to do. That is part of the religion. And that is the same with statism. Part of that religion is that you give taxes, that you give up a portion of your wealth to help other people through the state. That is how it is designed. It can't function without that, without that 
ability to fund itself and to fund its various programs. And people expect it to do that. They expect the state to take these funds, these taxes, and to distribute them to those who are in need. We expect the state to take care of the poor, to take care of educating children who need it, to take care of those who get hurt and make sure that they are taken care of from a health perspective, uh, to protect people and keep them defended. All of these needs that people have, there are some people that can't really provide them for themselves very well. And so we expect the state to do that. And we give the state money in order to carry out these things and to help other people. And we do this giving, this charity, this tithing and offering through the institution of the state and the state carries it out for us. That is how it works in statism and in Christianity. With such a high view of God and of the state, we should probably worship this entity that is all-powerful, so to say, and is beyond human. And I'll get to that in just a second. But how do we worship God? Well, that is often through prayer. That is through songs. That is through hand motions. Some people will raise their hands while they sing a worship song, things like this. This is worship that is performed in honor of God because people view God as being deserving of this worship. God created all of humanity, and therefore he deserves our thanksgiving for this blessing and for the things he has done for us. And it's the same with statism. The state created this country and this society that we live under, and the state sustains that society. The state takes care of it. And for all of these wonderful things the state has done for us, we have this sense of patriotism. That is our worship. And we do sing songs about the state and to the state. We have certain hand motions. Sometimes we put our hands over our heart or we'll take our hat off in respect. You do that in church and you can do that in honor of the flag and in honor of the state. You have these symbols, whether it be the cross or the flag or whatever it is that represents your religious fervor or your patriotism. And you sing these songs to it. You have these hand motions. These are involved. It's because we worship these things that we are so grateful for. We may be very grateful to God. We believe in God and God is deserving of our praise. Or we may be grateful for the state. We believe in this idea of having a nation state that takes care of everybody and in our country and the ideas that our country was founded on. And we give praise to this concept and to this entity. And although I agree and I admit that People do not consciously think of this, uh, at least usually. I'm sure there are some who do, but the vast majority of people are not thinking when they sing the Star Spangled Banner, oh, I praise and honor ye worthy state. That's not what's going through their mind. But if you look at the reality of what happens and the obvious parallels here that I am laying out, they are performing the same thing. They are worshiping the state even though they wouldn't use that word worship. They are giving respect, maybe they would say, maybe honor. Maybe they would say that they have a strong sense of patriotism and they feel compelled to show this patriotism in various ways. There might be other ways they may describe this. I highly doubt most people would say that they worship the state. But again, in a sense, it's the same thing. Now, when we look at this entity, like I talked about, that's more than human, it's the same idea between God and the state. It's that you have God who is more than human. He's 
omnipotent. He knows all things. He knows what's best for everyone. He acts for the greater good of all of humanity, and specifically to the greater good of his people in particular. Sometimes he will give preference to his specific people, to the church or to the Israelites, whatever example you want to use. He will give preference to them over the rest of humanity even. And this is something that only God can do because God isn't limited like humans are. God is something that is bigger and greater than ourselves. We have something we can believe in that goes beyond just us. We are just small, small things in the grand scope of the universe, but we can be a part of something greater, something bigger, an ideal. And this ideal, this God, is the source for our morality, for the rights that we have as humans, for defining what we are as humans, how we should live our lives, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. These are the things that we can find in God. These are also the things that we can find in the state. If we look at the state, the state is something government, you could say, is something that is beyond just human. It's not that President Obama or President Trump or President Bush or President Clinton, it's not that these people are more than human. We know and we understand that they are just fellow humans. Many people believe that they're much better than the average human. Some people believe they're much worse than the average human. But either way, we still view them as human. But the state as a whole, the entity, the institution, the idea, the ideal of the state is far beyond just human. The state as a whole is something that looks out for the greater good of all of mankind, but definitely gives preferential treatment to the citizens under its jurisdiction. So the state of America looks out for Americans and will do what's best for Americans and knows what's best for Americans and will carry that out through its various people, its various humans that operate under it and within it and make it up, just like the body of believers, the Christians make up the church and are the tools and representatives of God and carry out the things that God wants to do within the human world. You have government employees that carry out what the state wants to do within the general society. When we look at America and the sense of patriotism, we are looking at something that is greater than ourselves. It's this idea of freedom, of liberty, of all these uh, shiny, bright things, sunshine and rainbows and puppies. It's this idea of the American ideal, and it is something that is beyond just mere humans. We are not worshiping the president. We are honoring and we are respectful of the country itself, of the state, of the government. If it weren't for the government, society would be chaos, just like if it weren't for God— humanity would be completely evil and fallen. And so it's it's the same thing here because they're both religions. They both play the same role. One final thing that applies to both is sacrifice. So when we look at the idea of sacrifice, I'm sure that it comes to your mind that you have heard that in a religious context and in a statist context. You have probably heard that very often in both both contexts because sacrifice is one of the key components in both places because they're both religions and religion has sacrifice. That is part of religion. And so with this, when you look at Christianity, as I mentioned earlier, the whole religion is based on the sacrifice of Jesus and 
I won't get into all the details and complications there, but that is what it all is all based on. If you go before Jesus, it was all based on the sacrifice of animals who would stand in the place for Jesus eventually is how it would play out, but basically you would sacrifice an animal and that animal would receive the punishment and take the punishment for your sin. You would lay that upon an animal and sacrifice an animal. It is sad. People did not want to do this. Even uh, biblically, God would not want this. Ideally, that is not the ideal for God's world, but unfortunately, people are evil. There is sin in the world, and in order to treat this without totally getting rid of free will and making everyone robots, you have to have some sort of system where you have justice. Well, how can you have justice? Basically, everyone would just deserve death because everyone does bad things, and if you talk about your ideal being a perfect world, there would be no bad things. Therefore, you get rid of all the people that do bad things. Therefore, you get rid of everyone. That doesn't quite work out. And so, you have this sacrificial system, and that plays out, again, differently, whether you look at the animals or whether you look at Jesus. But again, it is all based on sacrifice. It's that there are bad people, they do bad things, that is something that is bad for society. Therefore, we have to sacrifice life, even. If you look at the ultimate uh, revelation of this, you have to sacrifice life to make up for these evils in the world. If you do not do this, then you will suffer the consequences yourself, and society will be turned over to evil. And it's the same with the state. You have to sacrifice life in order to sustain the state, that there are bad people in the world, there are bad ideologies, in the world. People do bad things. And in order to stop these people and to stop these bad things, then you have to sacrifice your own people in order to prop up the state and make sure that the state can take care of these things. You have to go into a foreign country and sacrifice human lives, your own citizens, your own soldiers, in order to make sure that terrorists cannot come over to your country and kill your people and do the bad things that they want to do. You have to stop evil with human sacrifice. That is the way that it works. This is not necessarily only restricted to giving up someone's life in the physical sense. It's also giving up parts of your life just as a concept of your life as a whole, the whole time period that you are alive and how you spend that time period and what you do. You give up a portion of that when you work for the state, when you become a soldier. Even if you don't die in the line of duty, you are giving up large portions of your life in exchange for propping up the state and supporting the state and helping the state carry out its duties and carry out the things that it wants to do or needs to do. And that is what you do. You are sacrificing part of your life for this. As a Christian, you sacrifice parts of your life in exchange for being a good Christian, for living up to the ideals that are in the Bible, for trying to be better and better and propping up the religion, you sacrifice aspects of your life for this. There are certain pleasures and certain things and conveniences that you might want to ideally take part in and be a part of and have part of your life, but you might sacrifice some of those things in exchange for living out your life the way the Bible says that you should, the way that God wants you to, so that you can be a good representative of God and that you can live in the way that he dictates. Just like you might sacrifice some of the things that you might want to do with your life and with your time that you may feel like you 
could do and other people do. Some people may take drugs or something, or they may gamble, or they might do any number of things that are technically illegal. They may tear down a shed in their backyard without asking for permission. They might install an outlet in their house themselves instead of getting a licensed electrician to do it. There are many things that someone could do that is against the rules of the state, and they might choose not to do it in exchange for living their life the way that the state dictates they should live. The state says you should do this and you shouldn't do that. And some people make these sacrifices to make sure that they live according to the state's ideal so that they are living a religious life, living a life the way that their religion says that they should live it. And the same is true of the Christian. Now, the statist doesn't do absolutely everything they're supposed to do to the letter of the law. They might have a yard sale and not claim the income on their taxes. Shame on them. And they might do other things similar to this, just like the Christian. Now, one of the main points of Christianity is that the Christian still sins. The Christian still does things. They still give in to some of these temptations. And so it's not necessarily that someone becomes perfect. Uh, they don't become the perfect perfect statist, the perfect citizen, nor do they become the perfect Christian, but they are working towards that ideal. They have this ideal, and they have this ideology that they're looking towards. It's not just an ideology, though. It is a religion, and they are trying to live their lives to fulfill these religious ideals according to what the foundational beliefs are for their religion. Now, there can be different interpretations for how to do these things, and that's where the Reformation comes into play and other splits within Christianity, where you have the Bible, and it is pretty clear on a lot of things, but there are also different ways that you can interpret different aspects of the Bible and of the religion and how people should live their lives. And at times, these differences are so great that people split, that one group says, well, this can only mean X. The other group says, no, this can only mean Y. And there is no consolation between the two, and there is a split there. There are different interpretations of how this carries out. And at times, you can have different interpretations while still having both groups say that they are both Christians. There are plenty of Protestants that will still say that Catholics are Christians, and plenty of Catholics that will say that Protestants are still Christians. Usually there are certain criteria that they give to say whether or not this might be true, but still, even though you might have different denominations, a lot of times a Presbyterian, for example, is still going to say that most Baptists are Christians, and a Baptist is probably still going to say that most Presbyterians are Christians. Even though they're different denominations, they have different beliefs, they uh, interpret the Bible and the scriptures in different ways in certain areas, they believe that they should live or worship or represent their faith and their religion in different ways, possibly, but they are still all Christians. They still follow the same religion. The same is true with statism. You might have different people that view the Constitution in different ways. Some people believe that the government has the right and authority to do X. Some people believe that, no, their rights and authority end at Y. They might not be able to bring these two beliefs together and agree on anything, but they will still agree that the government has authority and they should be ruling over society. It's just a matter of how the government should do this and what the limits on this are. That's why you have different political parties. In America, you mainly have the Republicans and the Democrats. They are both statists. They're both part of the same religion, and they will both say the same thing. Neither one is going to call the other an anarchist. No, they both are statists. They 
are part of this statist religion, and they both have the same core beliefs. They both have the same foundational beliefs and foundational documents that they rely on. They just have different interpretations of this. So you have some different denominations, some different splits there. If you look back to the time period of the Middle Ages and coming into the Reformation, it was only the crazy people that were atheists that believed that there was no God and that there should not be any religion. And if you look at modern times, it's only the crazy anarchists that believe that there should be no state, that there is no such thing as a right to rule over other people. Those crazy anarchists don't know what they're talking about. And so you have these similar outcasts that are not religious and those are not a part of either side or of any denomination, and those exist today just like they did then. So you should have a good idea of what I meant when I started this episode by saying that statism is a religion, just like Christianity is a religion. It's not that it's like a religion. It's not that it has some similar aspects. It's not that we can just draw out some patterns and some parallels. No, statism is a religion. And I hopefully laid that out very clearly and detailed enough. There are plenty of other examples that can be given. There are other things that you can draw on to explain this and back this up further. If you want to look up more in relation to this concept, Larkin Rose is a very good source for this. The Most Dangerous Superstition is a book that I am actually looking at as I speak right now on my shelf, and I admit I have not read the whole thing quite yet. That is on my short list of books to get to in the very near future, but Larkin Rose, I've listened to many of his presentations and interviews, and he is very good on drawing out this aspect of religious statism. And so that is the end of this episode, possibly the end of the season. I'm not quite sure about this yet. I kind of realized as I was prepping for this show, I hadn't recorded this episode early like I usually do. It's kind of last minute. I'm recording it the day that I am releasing it. I should be releasing it here in an hour or maybe this evening if my wife and kids get home and it gets a little loud in here and I don't have time. So I don't have any further plans as far as exactly what's coming up next. I do have plans for what I will be doing as a whole next, and there is a possibility that that will be the next episode, is me laying out where I am going from here and what the next journey will be. And I have a very good idea of what that is, and I have prepped for some of that. And so that is more than likely what I will get into with the next episode. If there is more that you want to hear about this comparison, the Reformation, modern times, more details, more specifics that you want me to get into, let me know. Send me an email, get in touch with me, and I can draw those out and do some more bonus episodes or who knows what. Maybe I'll do another episode if I get a bunch of feedback this week. But I kind of doubt it. I'll probably just go ahead and move on would be my guess. So I want to say thank you, especially to the patrons who are giving their money, their offerings to me in exchange for me giving them the benefit of this information. I greatly appreciate that. And I'm giving it out not only to you, but to those in need as well, who are looking and searching for this information. They don't have it and they have a need for learning these things. And I'm providing that through your offerings and ties and taxation, maybe, except it is definitely not by force. So this is a voluntary religion. So thank you for being a part of it. And thank you for those of you who 
have been telling people about it, who are following on Twitter and interacting with me on there, who have sent in emails. Thank you to those who requested a shirt and are hopefully wearing them. I got some good feedback on those. Please do wear those um, and advertise and talk about the podcast. Greatly appreciate that. Thank you very much to anyone who is just listening, whether it be this episode or others. I will insert the mandatory point here that you should listen to the entire podcast, all of season one, all of season two. It all goes together. It flows together. There are connections. Even though you can do individual episodes, ideally go through it all so that you aren't missing anything and you can build that foundation of season one and elaborate on the parallels and kind of back up where I'm going with season two. And then we can really dig in with season three for where we are today and really get into this and where we're going. So thank you again very much for all of your support of all kinds. I will be back next time. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundations Podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.